you want to pick up your Bibles and turn to Colossians chapter 3. Um, the bit we're going to be looking at is Colossians 3, verse 18 to 21. Uh, I was originally going to be looking at a bigger chunk, but there was just so much to be said that I've ended up wriggling the whole rotor around by chopping it in half, and we'll do the next bit next week. But I'm going to read the whole thing this time. We're going to read from Colossians chapter 3, verse 18 to chapter 4, verse 1. Colossians 3, 18 to 4, verse 1. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favour, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, and there is no favoritism. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. Mark Twain is said to have remarked, it ain't the parts of the Bible I don't understand which bother me, it's the parts I do understand. The words we just read are not very difficult to understand, actually, are they? They're just difficult to accept, (laughs) difficult to live out. So why don't I pray that God would help us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for speaking to us very clearly in the Bible. And so we ask now, that by your Holy Spirit you would help us to listen and accept what you say and to put it into practice. In Jesus' name, amen. Wives, husbands, children, parents, every single one of us is at least one of those things. We are all somebody's child, whether or not we're grown up or our parents are still around. On top of that, many of us are married. Some of us have children. Some of us are more obviously children. This bit of the Bible is certainly relevant, isn't it? Even the bits that don't immediately relate to our situation are still important for us to hear. Single people still need to know what God says about marriage. Those without children need to know what God says about parenting. And we need to know that in case our situation changes, but also so that we know how to support other people who are in that situation, what to pray for them, what to encourage them with. So all of this is relevant to all of us. But it's also pretty controversial. Perhaps your ears pricked up when you heard, hang on a minute, what what are we looking at tonight? Submit what? What's he going to say about that? It is a controversial thing, and it raises all kinds of questions. And very often our minds go to the exceptions and the outlying cases, and, and we say, okay, wives submit to your husbands, but, but, but what if this? What if they're not a Christian? What if they're abusive? Well, husbands don't be harsh. Well, who defines what's harsh or not? Uh, and what if she does this, or, or what if she does that? 
Children, obey your parents. Okay, but, 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 but until I'm how old? And, and, and what if my parents are dead? And we will tackle some of those things. But sometimes when we leap to the worst case scenarios, we miss what this is saying to most people most of the time. What I want us to do is to try and get these basic instructions clear and then we can all take time to think about how it works in each of our own situations. So to help us do that, I want to lay a bit of a framework out first so we get the gist of it before we get into the details. Uh, this section is carrying on what Paul's been saying in Colossians for the past three chapters, all about Christ, all about how he is the one we need. And the overall message of these verses is this, that Jesus transforms our everyday relationships. Don't miss the wood for the trees and all the particular relationships just yet, but the gist is that Jesus transforms our everyday relationships. When we put our faith in Jesus, our marriages, our families, our workplaces, our friendships, our streets, our churches, they don't stay the same because Jesus transforms them as he transforms us. And that's what these verses are about. Notice how everyday they are. If you want to be godly, you don't need to climb a mountain or, or go on a pilgrimage or jump through lots of spiritual hoops. True spirituality is not about religious activity here in this building on for a small part of this particular day. It is also about how things are when we go home. It's not just about Sundays at 10 and 6, but it's about 24-7, 365. As I say, I was meant to be tackling the slaves, masters, bosses, and, and workers bit as well. Uh, but that's about our work life. That's what we're going to look at next week. And it doesn't get much more every day than that, does it? What you're doing day by day by day. Now, the people in Colossae were being told that if you wanted to be spiritual... Well, then you need to focus on religious rituals and, and special days and sacred activities. And you can judge how you're doing, or more importantly, how other people are doing, by whether they were there and whether they did the stuff. Those things are not a good measure. Because Jesus is interested in transforming our everyday relationships. Every moment, you can pray 20 times a day but if you are horrible to your wife, that's not okay. These super spiritual people, they would talk about visions and experiences, and it was all very otherworldly. It's kind of an escape from the drudgery of life. But Jesus wants us to live in those mundane places. He wants to redeem the drudgery of it. Because it's in the mess of normal life that he's honored. We get this so wrong so often. We have this funny idea of what it means to be spiritual. A nun who denies herself any of this family life to sit in a room and pray, she is not closer to God than a mum waking up to deal with children at two in the morning. Every day, every day, family life is already holy, already good already bad and needing redeeming. <laughs> Back in chapter 3, verse 2, we looked at this a couple of weeks ago, we were told to set our minds 
on things above, not on earthly things. And, and as we were helpfully, <laughs> it was pointed out, that doesn't mean having your head in the clouds and being so heavenly minded you're of no earthly use, as they say. No, we set our minds on Jesus, on our future with him, precisely so that we can get on and serve him now, in the everyday, in the mundane, in the meantime. And what that looks like is transformed relationships. Last week we heard about the Christ-ruled community, the church. Not a place where people judge each other and disqualify each other, but a place where they love each other, where they forgive each other. We were told what it looks like to be part of that in, in 3 verse 5 is putting to death our old ways of treating people. Chapter 3 verse 8, getting rid of the old ways of speaking to people. And instead, 3 verse 12, clothing ourselves with new ways like kindness and compassion and humility and love. Those are the new attitudes that apply in all our relationships. Now, we tend to think, don't we, that the one place I don't need to try is at home. I don't need to dress up. I don't need to try in any way. We just relax and be yourself. Well, which self are you going to be? Because if we act like our old selves, it's going to be an absolute nightmare. We are all sinners. We need to be told these things, wives, husbands, parents, children, all that stuff. We need to be told it because our default is the opposite. We get these funny ideas in our heads. Wives are not told to submit because people back then liked doing that kind of thing. No, it's because in every generation they naturally won't want to. Husbands need to be told to love and not to be harsh because harshness is just so much easier, isn't it? We all know how hard kids find it to obey their parents. We all know how common it is to exasperate your children. These instructions are about helping sinners like us to take off the old ways, put on the new ways in those family relationships which is why we need Jesus. It is Jesus who changes things. It is not a new regime. We shouldn't come out of this and go, right, right, we're going to go home and lay down the law. There's going to be a new set of rules now. No, it is Jesus who changes things by reorganizing everything around himself. So the verse just before our bit, 3 verse 17, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. This is saying whatever you do, not just having Jesus as Lord in church, but having Jesus as Lord of our home, Jesus as Lord of the whole of our lives. So whatever our initial reaction is to verses like these, God is good and what he's calling to us to is really, really good. When we have Jesus as Lord in our marriages, when we have Jesus as Lord in our homes, that is freeing. That is not a restrictive thing. It's putting things back into order. It's a good thing because Jesus is gracious. He forgives us when we mess this up, and we all will. There's going to be nobody here tonight hearing these things going, well, I do that perfectly. Jesus forgives us when we inevitably mess it up, and Jesus helps us to forgive other people in our families when they inevitably mess it up. The way to grow in our marriages, in our families, 
is to apply the gospel in the situation, not just lay down the law. Some translations uh, head this little section up, rules for Christian living, rules for Christian families, when literally the previous section has just basically said freedom from human rules. And then you go, well, I say freedom. Here's some rules anyway. (laughs) When we've just been told rules don't work. We cannot say here, okay, everybody, Every family, here is exactly how to do it. Don't do this, don't do that, always do that, never do that. But these are the basic outlines. There's actually not very much here. These are basic outlines for us to color in the detail. We've been given principles. So, the principle for wives who want to continue in Christ is this. This is how to do it. Now, go and work out what that looks like in your home. The principle for husbands is that. Now, Go and see how that works for you. For parents, for children, the principle is this, is that. Not all the details, but here's the principles. Now let's see what that looks like with your children. We're going to hear some clear principles tonight of submitting and loving and obeying and things like that. And it's going to take wisdom to apply those principles to each unique situation. So without further ado, hopefully that gives us a bit of a framework for looking at it. But let's get stuck in that Jesus transforms our everyday relationships, in particular, husbands and wives, wives and husbands. Verse 18 and 19. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. They say there's two basic problems in every marriage. One's the husband, the other's the wife. It's the classic wedding joke. You've got to pull that out every time, isn't it? But there are. Marriages are difficult because people are really, really difficult. And that is why both husbands and wives are told how they need to change. There is nobody in this getting an easy ride. There is nobody drawing the short straw. Let's see. Let's start where this does, with wives. Wives are told to submit to their husbands. Now, to most people, that sounds really bad. You might be embarrassed by this verse. You might wish it wasn't there. Because to modern ears, submission means nothing but negative things. It means, well, we think it means being inferior, being a doormat for a bossy person to stomp on, having no say, having no freedom. And sometimes people have acted like that is what it means. And so it's not surprising that people react against that. But submission is not a dirty word. We're all called to submit sometimes. It's the way God set up the world, isn't it? That in different situations, different people are in charge. And the right thing to do is acknowledge that and not try to take over. To voluntarily place ourselves under the care of someone who's responsible for our well-being. That's submission. Even Jesus submitted. God, God the Son submits to God the Father, and he's no less God for doing that, no less glorious. In fact, all the more so glorious, because how often we praise Jesus for doing that. Submitting is a really good thing, because authority is a really good thing. It is a good gift from God. All authority belongs to him, and he uses it to serve, and he expects us to do the same. Every time that you or I are given any authority, we're not supposed to be using that for our own benefit. We're given that authority for the good of the people we're leading. That's true in every situation. 
You'll notice in all the relationships mentioned here, including the stuff about work, one group is told to let the other group lead, and the leading group are told to do it nicely. <laughs> do it kindly, do it lovingly, do it gently, do it fairly. Jesus is transforming our relationships so they actually work the way they're supposed to. And in marriage, that means husbands leading and wives submitting. God made men and women absolutely equal, but not identical. He made us different on purpose, different ways, people have talked about different ways to explain that, whether that's like the, the left hand and the right hand working together, or those who are fans of Strictly, you know, the, all those sort of traditional dances, the male partner takes the lead, the female partner follows, and when each one plays their part to serve the other one, it is beautiful. But when they don't, toes get trodden on and it's an absolute mess. We've got different roles, which is why we have different instructions. And this doesn't sit very easily with us. We like to think, don't we, men and women, we're basically the same, we're totally interchangeable. It isn't true. Sin means that we want to be in charge of ourselves. We don't want God or anybody else to tell us who we are or what to do. So, of course, the idea that we have different gender roles sounding bad, doesn't it? Don't tell me who I am. Of course, submission sounds awful. I don't want to submit to anybody. We do need to be careful, don't we, to listen to what this says. There's lots of talk nowadays about redefining marriage. Well, let's not think as long as we've got a man and a woman, we've got the right definition. We can redefine marriage all the time when we ignore what the Bible says about the different roles that God has given to husbands and wives. We've all got our own ideas about how things ought to be, how couples ought to behave, what's appropriate, what's fitting. But we're told here, aren't we? Verse 18. This is what is fitting in the Lord. This is how to do it if you're a Christian. Wives, submit to your husbands. Not to men in general, but to that particular man that you married. Respect him. Follow his lead. Give him right of way, if you like, so that he can take initiative. This will probably look like not undermining him, not nagging at him, not putting him down, not telling other people how useless he is. Of course he's somewhat useless. He's a sinner, just like you are. But he's forgiven just like you are. And so we cut each other some slack. And husbands, the flip side of that is to, to lead. In the sense that if they're told to submit, there's sort of the, the obvious other side of it. Not to be absent physically, emotionally. Not to be passive. Oh, she deals with everything I just do as I'm told. By all means, let's delegate stuff. Let's let them get on with stuff. <laughs> we don't want to nag either. But how is she supposed to submit to us if we're not leading? It's very hard to follow someone who isn't going anywhere. Now, I mentioned before, sin makes us want to be in charge, makes us want to be the boss. And so that could make this a very dangerous command, doesn't it? If you just tell any old person, right, you're in charge now, goodness me. <laughs> Well, that's why the call to men is not, husbands, make sure your wives do this. No, it's not saying that, is it? It says, husbands, love your wives and don't be harsh with them. 
This is telling us that leading is not domineering. It's loving. It's not just saying that you love them, although that's good, but loving them practically. Like we said before, authority, any authority a husband's been given is not for our benefit, it's for the benefit of those we're married to. Don't be harsh. The word harsh is linked to bitterness. And I think that is often where harshness comes in, doesn't it? When we're bitter, when we're resentful, we're frustrated, things are not the way we would like. She's not submitting, she's always blah, 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 blah. Well, if that's our situation, what should we do? Is this saying, oh, the biblical view of marriage is, when you're in that situation, rule with an iron fist? No, absolutely not. As a Christian marriage, the rule in that situation is, bear with each other and forgive one another. Love and don't be harsh. See, lots of cultures have wives submitting, and it looks very different to this. Very different to this as they are dominated over. Lots of marriages end up with one person leading by accident, and there's often battles over which one it's going to be. But one of the things that's unique about Christianity is that this is set up and agreed upon voluntarily by both sides, and that it's done in love for the good of the other person. These commands to husbands and wives, they're not conditional. Husbands, we're not to wait until our wives start submitting, and then we'll start loving. Wives, you're not to, to wait until your husband starts leading lovingly before you submit. Each person gets on with their bit regardless. That's what's fitting to someone who's being transformed by Jesus. So if you're not married, but you might be one day, this is what to aim for. And even if you don't get married or, or you're no longer married, this is what to pray for those who are and what to encourage them in to pursue. Wives submitting, husbands loving. That's what's fitting in the Lord. Now, I'm very aware there's lots more to say on that. We can't possibly cover every situation. What if my husband does this? What if my wife does that? That's part of the thing of saying, there's the principle. There's the basic outline. Go color it in. Keep thinking it through. Let's talk about this with one another. If you're married, let's talk about this together, about it, what it looks like for you. And if you need help with this, come and get help. Because Jesus is in the business of transforming relationships, even a marriage that looks like it's beyond transformation. Next thing, next set of relationships. Children and parents. Children and parents. Let's read that again, verse 20 to 21. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. Now, this is a fun passage to preach on with your children in the room. Uh, it is a challenge, because they can tell you whether this is legit or not. Anybody can pretend to be good for an hour or two on a Sunday. What am I actually like with them the rest of the week? See, our children know whether we're the real deal or not, don't they? Because Christianity is about the nitty-gritty of everyday life, about how it is in the back of the car, at the dinner table, first thing in the morning, after work, how families relate to each other in the everyday matters. Let's start with children. 
Children, obey your parents. I asked Graham earlier this week what he thought of this passage. He said, well, I know what I'm supposed to think of it. Just very honest. And I wonder if that's true of all of us about the whole passage, about the whole Bible. Well, I know what I'm supposed to think. <laughs> it's just that little matter of doing it. Children need to obey their parents. Why? Why? Well, part of being young is lacking experience. It's not a criticism of babies to say that they aren't very wise. That will come in time. Of course, they're not yet. In the meantime, God in his wisdom has given children the gift of parents, of older and wiser people who love them and tell them what they need to do. So children who are here, parents do not always get it right, but they have been given the job by God, so they do need to be obeyed. All children reject this, of course, just like all us adults did when we were younger. That's part of how sin works, isn't it? We try and get rid of any authority over us. One of the things this passage needs to teach us is not to be like one of those parents who reject this. The idolatry of a child-centered home. When you let the kids rule the roost, you let the kids run riot. We want to be our children's friend more than we want to be their parents. Now, don't get me wrong, I want to be a friend to my children. Uh, um, one of the most common things my dad calls me is me old mate. And I really love that. There's nothing wrong with being friends with your children. But there is a sense in which children are supposed to obey their parents. In everything, this says. Now, when it says in everything, I presume that includes every area where you think your parents are wrong. Bedtime. Homework. Chores. Screen time. Not just obeying in some things, but in everything. Now, why would we be asked to do that? Why would we ask children to do that? Well, for this pleases the Lord. Again, once again, it's all about Jesus, really. Christians, we want to please the Lord, don't we? Well, Jesus loves it when children obey their parents. So, kids who are here, living with Jesus as king looks like this. Do what mommy and daddy says. I remember when we first had children, somebody told me that. It's so helpful in bringing up children that godliness for children is 90% do what your parents tell you. That is really helpful for children to know because it's not complicated, isn't it? To say that God has put mummy and daddy in charge or an age-appropriate way of saying mummy and daddy. And you need to do as you're told. That's helpful for grandparents to know, for kids group leaders to know, for babysitters to know, for everybody else to know. You don't need to be a parent to want to encourage young people to be godly. And godliness for children largely looks like obeying mum and dad. So why does the passage just say dad? It does, doesn't it? Fathers, blah, 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 blah. Because both mothers and fathers are involved in bringing up children. Children should obey both. So obey your parents. But if, as we saw, husbands lovingly lead their wives, it makes sense for fathers to continue that leadership role within the parenting team. God has put fathers especially in charge of families. Even if that's not how it works out in every single family, even if from day to day, mums often end up spending more time with kids, fathers take the lead. 
And so when both parents are spoken to, it's the fathers who are addressed. I also wonder whether the instruction comes to dads because we're the ones most in need of hearing this. <laughs> fathers, don't embitter your children or they will become discouraged. Since time immemorial, children have resented their parents. This is telling parents, don't make that your fault. Don't be overbearing. Don't be hard to please or needlessly strict. Children are easily discouraged. It doesn't take very much for them to give up and think, well, there's no point. It doesn't matter what I do. It's never good enough. Don't embitter them like that. Be like Jesus. When kids do as they're told, we're told this pleases the Lord. So be pleased. If you are someone whose parents are hard to please, or when you were a child, they were hard to please, don't forget that Jesus is still pleased with you. But believe it or not, children also get embittered when there aren't any rules. Kids who don't have boundaries are not happier. They don't know what they're supposed to be doing. And, and that is really discouraging, isn't it? Even as an adult, if you don't know what you're supposed to be doing, it's very easy to give up. It's exasperating when the rules change for no reason or they aren't enforced fairly. We need to discipline our children. Perhaps that's something to reflect on. Am I doing that? Have I done that? Do things need to change tomorrow? But as we discipline our children, let's remember what we heard this morning in Habakkuk. In wrath, remember mercy. Give your children grace. It is Jesus who transforms people, not the parenting equivalent of chapter 2, verse 21. Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Let's be far more concerned with our children's character than with any of the other things we might want for them. I remember when Brown first started school, uh, Lib talked to him about how schoolwork is important, but it is not as important as character. To which he replied, oh, you don't need to worry about that. I heard my teacher say I'm a real character. <laughs> <laughs> I did ask him if I could share that story. I don't want to embitter anybody. But character <laughs> really does matter, doesn't it? It really matters. Politics this week have shown that. Actually, it matters. We don't just want our children to be well-behaved. We want them to grow up loving Jesus, living for him. So let's make that what we aim them towards. You often hear parents saying to their children, you're not going out dressed like that. Well, let's do that about their character in this Colossians 3 sense of helping them take off the old self and be clothed with godliness. Not just telling them to do it, but leading by example and pointing them to Jesus in what we say and in what we do. My prayer would be that in years to come, children who have grown up in this church, and I think so many have, children of this church would turn to their parents and say, you taught me what it was like to follow Jesus. Not just by sending me to church and letting them do it. Not just by reading me Bible stories, as important as that is. But by showing me what repentance looks like. Showing me what faith looks like telling me the gospel, and actually living like you believe it by forgiving me, <laughs> being gracious, and being godly every day. Parents, especially dads, 
Are we doing that? What might need to change if we're going to apply that principle in our homes? If you're an adult and your parents did that for you, have you thanked them if you still can? Have you thanked the Lord? Are you honouring them? I mentioned before that we are all somebody's children, even if we're grown up, even if our parents have died. How does an adult child follow this principle? Well, it doesn't mean that, that a 50-year-old man needs his 80-year-old mother to send him to his room. Come on, children, obey your parents. Do as she says. No, parents have a role to play always, but it changes over time, doesn't it? As children get older, they become adults. They become responsible for themselves. And so parents give fewer commands to be obeyed, or they should anyway, and they give more advice to be listened to. The word uh, for obey is related to the word listen. And when children are younger, which I think this bit is assuming they are, it's in that stricter sense of listen and do, as in you are not listening to me because you are not doing what I'm saying. But when children become adults, it's about listening to what our parents say and taking it very seriously, following it when we can. But sometimes after prayerful consideration, with regret, with respect, we decide actually the better, wiser thing would be to do something different. And we do it that way because there is no best before date on the command to honour our parents, whether they are still around or not to see us. Being a parent is really, really hard. When they're young, it's all you can do to just hold on. And then when you start getting the hang of it, things change. <laughs> parents need help. Please pray for parents. And these are the kind of things to pray for them. Older people whose children have grown, show us how it's done. We need wisdom. We need advice. Now this passage does not tell us every answer to every question. How should we discipline our children? Should we make them do chores? What sort of education do they need? What time is bedtime? We can work those details out ourselves, and it won't look the same with everybody, will it? But let's be challenged and encouraged by these broad brushstrokes, if you like, of family life, because they do paint a wonderful picture of everyday life in Christ, of a family in which Jesus is Lord. Wives willingly, humbly following the lead of their husbands. Those husbands who love them and are not harsh with them as they head up the home. Children who please the Lord by pleasing their parents obediently. Fathers leading their families. Parents together encouraging their children, not discouraging them to live for Jesus. It is a wonderful picture. And you might think, yeah, well it's, it's a great picture. It doesn't look like any of my family pictures. <laughs> Well, no family is beyond hope because Jesus transforms our everyday relationships. I'm sure there's plenty of things for us to talk about later on, but let's pray. Loving Father God, we thank you for your word. Thank you for telling us how families work. Please help each one of us to play our part and play our part in supporting others in their parts. Help us to say sorry where we need to, to change where we need to, and help us day by day to continue with Jesus as he transforms us.
And we ask this in his name. Amen.